Hello, folks. This is Princess. You are listening to the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share with your friends. It's tough. We're in a very tough spot. I think that what we're doing right now is of great benefit and virtue because it's an end around between this whole corrupt informational system, media system. We claim to believe in a God who spoke the universe into existence and literally raised himself from the dead. And yet we're not going to believe that anything else exists in the spirit realm, even though his word tells us that they do. Their bodies weren't permitted to go to sleep like humans do. And they weren't permitted to go to heaven. So they wander the earth. You know, I've seen the eyes turn black to unknown tongues being spoken. These giants would live way up in the highland. The young graves, the young men would hide up in the trees and wait for one of these 12 footers to come walking down the path and they would jump on them and kill them and drag them back to the village and the village would feast on the body. Then people start to get weapons, they start to get armor, they start to build cities, they start to fortify their cities. Now, God looks down and there's violence everywhere. The battle, this war that we are at, is not against each other. It's against these principalities and these rulers and these archons in the high places. It's really worthwhile to read the Bible yourself. Fear is one of the primary drivers of mind control because we have to take every thought captive and resist fear. You're going to have a testimony that is a justice case against the kingdom of darkness. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I have a really interesting episode in store for you guys on this one. So I interviewed John Kerwin, the author of a book called A Survival Guide for the Conspiracy Theorists. Now, John's team reached out to me about two months ago, requesting for him to be able to come on the show and present his book. I didn't really do too much deep diving into this topic. Me and John talked on the phone. We hit it off on a couple topics. I'm like, yep, this is cool. Let's get him scheduled. I was blindsided on this episode because the Mandela effect, I'm very aware of the Mandela effect and just the general things that people are familiar with, how it has affected things and the conspiracy behind it, right? But the last like 45 minutes of this episode, me and John get into a debate. I'm not saying John is a bad guy. I wanted to air this episode so you guys can see what my defenses were as to how the Bible is changing. So I don't believe the word of God changes at all ever. But but the whole thing is I was kind of caught off guard. I go into a defensive mode, which really, you know, is is healthy because I want to honor God's word. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to deceive anybody else. But I think this is an interesting episode for you guys really to just see a different you know, perspective, like really diving in and, and trying to get through some troublesome topics. It's it's a good episode. So you guys stick around for this whole recording. I'm supposed to be traveling two times this month of September here. As far as finances go, I don't have the finances to travel. We've had one person donate and I want to thank Isaiah for donating some money towards gas for the ministry travels. So I'm putting this in the Lord's hand. I'm not begging for money. I'm literally stating 
the doors have opened up. There's places I would like to be, but I need you guys to help me meet that need so we can get there. There is real hard line needs like gas money, hotels, things like that when you're traveling. I don't have it in the budget. I work hard, but with the price of everything today, hey, come on, you guys know the deal. So if you can spare 10, 20, 30, 50, $100, somebody out there who's got plenty of money and money's not a problem for you, you can be the one to help me get this thing done. God is opening the door. I'm looking to be faithful and to walk through it. So I need you guys to leave me that five-star rating and review. That helps this podcast grow. That helps me reach more people just like you. And we get to water some more seeds, plant some more seeds, spread the fire, as Chuck would say over on Fire Theft Radio. We get to literally move this thing forward because there's so many different messages and signals going on today. It's really important that we have an answer in season and out of season that we were equipped. And you guys, hide the word of God in your heart that you will not sin against him. There's, you'll see just even on this episode with John, there's so many weird things that we're covering that are literally we need to wrestle through as a whole. We can't just keep our head in the sand on these strange topics. So. Now's the time to pray, to fast, to get close to God in his word. We are living in strange times. But with all that being said, I got great episodes coming down the pipeline for you guys as well. I am ready to get into this episode. Are you guys ready? Let's go. Well, my name is John Kerwin. I'm the author of a new book called The Conspiracy Theorist Survival Guide, a guidebook for persecuted truthers. Welcome to the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. I have an awesome episode in store for you guys. I have John Kerwin here, and he's the author of a very interesting book. So what we're going to do tonight is just have him kind of give us a brief overview of the book. I'm going to ask him some questions. We're just going to organically let this conversation unfold. Now, John, was it this year that you released the book? Yeah, just uh, about two months ago, I'd say. About two months ago. Awesome. And it's uh, (laughs) interesting. On this show, I've attacked a lot of these different angles where you know, we have dived into aliens. We've talked about all different types of misconceptions that the church has to deal with. You know, this stuff is right in front of our face. We can no longer just turn a blonde eye and just put our head in the sand and not deal with everything that's going on in the world. I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and let's dive into this book. Awesome. Yeah. And like, this is a little bit of a different topic from what we are as truthers used to consuming, I guess. In other words, you know, instead of looking into another aspect of how the matrix operates and how bamboozled we are, the Luciferian central planners, what they're up to, uh, this is more of a, of a journey into the emotional, the intellectual, and the spiritual um, impact of finding out about the matrix. And then specifically, though, when your friends and your family don't find out about it, and they don't know and they don't want to know, this sets up a very difficult relational dynamics that has caused probably 100% of your listeners to experience a lot of pain. And so what I've done over the last um, six years is provided a biblical analysis of the Mandela effect, uh, but primarily you know, talking to the Christian, the individual truther about their journey and how to cope and deal with the fact that 
like in my case, uh, after 24 years of marriage, my wife asked for a divorce because the divide that comes up between a truther and what we call a normie or the unconvinced uh, in many cases is, is irreconcilable. I mean, some people manage to uh, navigate those waters, but um, I've probably talked to close to 200 people directly corresponded with them that have been divorced by their unconvinced spouses in the last six years. Now, what's interesting is I was looking at some statistics from when we last talked and people who have a near-death encounter, more than 50% of them, if they are married, uh, end up in divorce within two years from their near-death encounter. And I thought that was very provocative. Uh, And yeah, there's something to it. So I want to ask you real quick, how do you, with the Mandela effect, right? That's, that's a big deal. And nobody really is willing to deal with it. Now I have you here on the show. You've been studying this for uh, uh, the last six years and you have some good responses for us and how it affects the individual. Now, where, where do we begin with that? I, I think of repentance as having a change of mind, right? So do you think that a lot of what's going on in the world today is people are cloaked to the idea, whether it be through like satanic ritual abuse or, or just um, being literally dumbed down because of the environment, the toxins in our food, the systematic desensitization? How are people not able to just realize that uh, there, there's a really big problem here? Why does the church reject this kind of information in your opinion? Yeah, that's a that's a big topic. It's it's a very common question. <clears throat> Why can't people see? And essentially it's because they don't want to see. And so then you have to ask that that question. Why don't they want to see? And as I've looked into that, I've discovered several things that I believe are drivers of that. One of them is uh integrity is at the core of the issue which I can explain in a second. Um, And, you know, I use the term unconvinced and the term truther uh, as ways to describe these two categories. And at the very core of the truther's ideals is that somewhere in the past, they began to question officialdom. So for instance, I was having a very emotionally uh, charged conversation with one of my kids, one of my daughters. And at one point she blurted out, dad, I wish you were normal. Well, I'm sure I'm positive that many of your subscribers have had a similar statement thrown at them. Maybe not those exact words, but, um, and so what I did, and this was one of the greatest revelations that I found in this research in the last six, seven years, I looked up the definition of normal. Rod, and what it means is conforming to a standard, usual, typical, or expected. (laughs) Okay? Now, then I looked up what normal means, or I'm sorry, conforming. And conforming means to comply with the rules. Now, what you asked me was, why don't people see? Now, this is why. The reason they don't see is because they don't want to see. And so if you are a truther, what happened to you Somewhere in the past, you were sailing along. Uh, Okay, I'll just use myself as an example, and you can relate to it. So I was a normie. I was just doing life. I was married, four four kids. I was a pattern day trader at that time. 
And all of a sudden, I saw that the Federal Reserve wasn't federal. So it's almost like for all of us, we're normies. We're just like everybody else. We believe the moon landing was real and the 9-11 was real. And all those things were real because that's what they told us, right? But then God comes up behind us and he kind of taps us on the shoulder. And he goes, did you notice that that's fake? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's that moment, right? And so yeah. what you do is, is I went, I, I saw that the Federal Reserve was this white building in, in Washington and it looked like part of the government and it's called the Federal Reserve. But then I found out, because I was in the financial realm, that it was actually a, a bunch of private banks, not subject to the federal, you know, the government at all. It was, it was like so obviously fake, like Federal Express isn't federal. And what I said to myself was, well, they know it's not. I mean, it's looking back, it's embarrassing, you know, how obvious these things are now. But yeah. uh, I said to myself, if that's not true, what else isn't true? And that is the genesis of the truth or journey. That is when you are converted from a normie to a truther. Because now what you have done is that filter has come off. That's the filter that doesn't let you see. And that filter has to do with what's called the reticular activation center. It's a part of your brain that filters out things that are inconsistent with your paradigm. Um, A simple example is if you, you know, if you decide you're going to buy a Honda Accord, all of a sudden, everywhere you look, you see Honda Accords. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, why is that? Well, your brain now knows you're interested in Honda Accords, and so it opens up the filter. And this is why you can go to normies and you can show them your evidence. Pick pick any conspiracy theory you want. I'll just use the moon landing is fake as an archetype for all conspiracy topics, okay? <laughs> Sounds good. All right, so you go to your friend and you show them the lunar lander and you show them the Photoshop pictures and you show them like what I call the shock and awe approach, okay? You just think, well, surely if I show them enough examples, they'll they'll believe me. No, no, they won't. Why is that? Because they don't want to know. And so they have their filter on. They can't see. They won't see until they start to question. Then they'll be able to see the evidence. And so this is really the root cause of what you asked, why, why people can't see. Now, there's... There's subliminal programming, there's modeling in the media, you know, the talking heads, you know, model mocking us. There's chemicals, there's trauma-based mind control, all the um, Cavistock stuff. And there's pride, that's a big player. There's demonic spirits. There's the second Thessalonians chapter two curse from God for people that are willfully ignorant. There's peer pressure. Uh, the herd mentality, and and that's a big one because humans are very tribal, and and so your belief system is actually your your uh, part of your initiation or belonging to this tribe that you're in, and and so when you start to challenge somebody's tribe, you're not just asking them to believe what you believe; you're asking them to leave their tribe, and that's a, lo- a big ask, right? And so you find them very resistant to doing that. So those are some of the underlying things that I've uncovered in my research. 
you have this moment. You, you talk about the Federal Reserve. Now, Dr. Laura Sanger, she's been on a handful of times. She wrote a book called The Roots of the Federal Reserve. She talks about tying the Nephilim agenda all the way back to the days of Noah and, and how that uh, really is the system that's in play today. How do we go from there to you release your book, right? You, you have this experience with the realizing the Federal Reserve is fake. You're waking up to the idea of the matrix, if you will. Fast forward, how do we get to where you are today? What are some of the biggest things that impacted your journey thus far? Yeah, that's another great question. So this was uh, six years ago. And for about four years, I was still married. And during that period of time, I experienced what all of us experience. Um, and I talk about this in chapter six of the book which is the three stages of rejection. And a lot of your subscribers will be able to relate to this. So you're a normie and your spouse is a normie, or maybe it's your friends. And, and all of a sudden you start to wake up and you start to ask, well, if that's not real, what else is real? And of course, most of the things that we're told aren't real. Everything's crazy. So you're in the Truman Show. And so what happens though, is those around you will keep it light at first. And then you start bringing things up and they'll say, well, you know, I don't go in for conspiracy theories much. And so they now invoke that term conspiracy theorist, which was, of course, a term created by the CIA in a 1967 bulletin that was released with a whole bunch of talking points, the goal of which was to quell uh, and shame people into silence that were questioning the JFK assassination. And so when somebody invokes that term, it means a lot of things. It means, I don't believe that that's true, what you're talking about. It means I'm embarrassed for you for bringing it up because only crazy people believe those things. And it means I don't ever want you to bring it up again. Okay. But at first it's very subtle, but if you persist, like I did, you know, maybe six months into it, your friends and family start realizing, man, he really believes this stuff, right? So then they go to stage two where they start ratcheting up and they start issuing what I call edicts and they start to manage you. <clears throat> now, a lot of people can relate to this. You start getting these directives from your friends and your, especially your spouse, right? Listen, when we go to the in-laws, I don't want you to talk about your crazy stuff, <laughs> yeah. right? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Is that why you're laughing? <laughs> I'm just laughing because I hear it among people that I talk with, but continue. Yeah. Yep. So these these are the coming of a variety. Like if I received a phone call from any of my conspiracy theorist friends, my wife would scowl at me and I'd have to take the phone call out in the cold. Or I was told, you know, don't talk about them when we're out in public. Or um, I actually had a intervention. Um in this second stage where I came home and the pastor, assistant pastor, and the deacon of the church were in my sunroom. And my wife was there and she's a drug and alcohol addiction counselor. And she was telling me I need medication. Oh, gee, that's a whole nother level. <laughs> so, so these are the types of things that you start to experience. Well, this is devastating emotionally. You know, how do you and, and then what you're then what happens though is if you continue to persist and you are vocal about it, because truthers have a sense of urgency, you know they find out 
they live in a sci-fi horror movie. And the run, the world's run by Luciferian blood drink and psychopath mobsters. <laughs> yeah. It's not like we've yeah. been told. And so once you get to level three, this is when you are given what I call shut up or else orders. These are these are relational brick walls where you, I was told, I don't want you to talk about anything negative or controversial. I was told by my children. Dad, if you talk about crazy things, I can't have a relationship with you. Well, that's a that's a showstopper. And when you try to bring up the topic to try to get some reconciliation, because keep in mind, you're right and they're wrong. You're right. The moon landing was faked. 9-11 was fake. But but remember, the normie isn't looking. They're like the British guards where you go, woo, you try to get them to look, they don't look. Normies don't look under the hood. Normies don't want to know. And so when you go to them to try to reconcile this schism, this elephant in the room, they like, I don't want to talk about it. Well, I've got three binders here of proof. I can easily show you it's fake. I don't want to talk about it. And I don't want you to talk about it. <laughs> so then what do you do? Then what is your option? So, so they are leaving you there with your nerve endings hanging out, and then they're basically pursuing their happy life, and you have now, your ideals and your priorities have shifted overnight. You've gone from living on a party boat to living on a battle cruiser, and wow. they have no idea what has happened to you, and they don't want to know. They have no compassion. In fact, I've stated... The, the, the normie has as much compassion for you, truther, as if they found out you're a pedophile. Because remember, when you start to question officialdom, you start to question the rules. To them, it looks like you've fallen in with a bad crowd. It looks like you've gone rogue and they're, and they're embarrassed and they're ashamed and they're, they're fearful. And so... It's a shutdown. And so you're told, I was finally told, don't talk about anything or else. Okay. So now I'm emasculated. Um, I'm, I have to be what I call happy dad in order to have any hope of having any relationship with them. So I have to pretend I believe like you do by being silent for the rest of my life or else I'm out the door. And I am out the door. I'm 60 years old and I live in an apartment by myself, 10 minutes away from my family. It's a nightmare. And it's universally the same for 100% of truthers. Now, it may not end up in divorce. You may be fortunate where your spouse is either gracious, a gracious normie, or they're actually a truther as well. But if you're a truther and your spouse is a normie, you're walking a lonely road. You may still be together, but your marriage is vacuous. Very interesting, man. And I'm sorry that you went through that. So recently I, I did a collaboration with uh, Chuck from Fire Theft Radio. He's out on the West Coast and he, he's talking about his moment where he was like, I felt just like Neo in the Matrix. I realized like everything is a lie, you know, and it's like he, the first time he gets unplugged and then he throws up and it's like there's this feeling of you're kind of set free and liberated in a way, but you're pissed off. Oh, yeah. You're a little bit pissed off. And then how do you recoup from that? So me and Chuck went on to talk about 
Dr. Michael Davis, who's been on the show, uh, talks about emotional health and the gospel of emotional health and how to deal with this. Because there, there's a lot of people that uh, they get really pissed off when they start to crash land into the reality that this is this is a big lie. So that's interesting to hear that's what you went through. And um, that's definitely a heavy, heavy burden, man. I can't imagine what that would be like. I know for me, there's certain people where I definitely get asked not to talk about it. And I kind of soften the approach and try to find ways to inculcate them, right? To get them to actually um, be aware and, and hopefully if their head's not too deep in the sand, they'll at least bring up one thing. <laughs> you know, I got a couple of friends that are like not into anything that I do, but every once in a while they'll slip and they'll be like, Oh yeah, I did see this on the news. And I'm like, you want to open that floodgate? Cause I could have a lot of fun on these topics. <laughs> I mean, like I kind of just slow down and look for opportunities, but it's really difficult because I believe uh, for myself, I identify as a watchman on the wall, right? So when I see something, I don't want any any blood on my hands. I'm shouting from the rooftops, be careful for this, look out for this. I just don't force feed it to people, but I try to find this balance. And it's so difficult. It's so difficult. So I, I want to talk about your book. The Conspiracy Theorist Survival Guide. <laughs> yeah. Give us an overview. I mean, the name kind of says it all, but like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what's going on here? Well, you know, I get, I get posts on my channel, Wake Up or Else on YouTube is my, is my channel. We have a, a, an online Christian fellowship for the truther community. So we do live streams. I do teachings. We actually have video conference meetings. Um, and so we're trying to, you know, create like a, a church fellowship or a fellowship, but the, um, I'm sorry, what, what was the question again? Uh, let's just hit like, um, you know, a 30,000 foot view of your book. Okay, you know, what, right. what are people to expect? Really? Right. So, so this, this was a result of my trauma, right. Of being, being disrespected, misunderstood and then having my family essentially turn my back on the, on me. Why? Because I found out the truth and they don't want to know. That's a terrible cross to bear. And what with my community, this is what I was thinking. My community, I found out that my experience wasn't me. It's universally the same. And so I got a burden for people. And so the book is a, is a self-help guide. It's, a, it's filled with anecdotes that will inspire you. And it'll give you instruction. Like I'll give you an example. One of the things that I finally figured out, right? So I'm in shutdown mode. I'm not allowed to talk about anything, but, but, and I'm told don't talk about anything crazy, but then my family would invoke things that I knew if they knew what I believed, they think I'd be crazy. So now I'm, now I'm forced into having a conversation about things that I know are a, a part of a conspiracy uh-huh. And they're telling me not to talk about them, but then they're bringing it up. And so that what they expect me to do is parrot their worldview to them so we can have a relationship. Well, I refuse to do that. So I would just be quiet and they would get the idea that I didn't want to talk about that. But if they would invoke the term crazy, fringe, conspiracy theory, kook, uh, irrational, I would hold up my right finger and I would say, excuse me, I may be mistaken, but I'm not crazy. 
Now that's a million dollar secret because what I did for a year or so, for a solid two years, I didn't say anything to anybody about anything. I, I was just happy dad. That's what I called it. I talked about hair, nails, boys, what are you doing, food, movies, you know, whatever, whatever they want to talk about. But I wouldn't try to instruct them or guide them or help prepare them for what's coming. None, none of the things that we as husbands and fathers feel that we should be doing. Of course, you know, I'm discipling them in the things of God. But um, what happened was they just didn't, they didn't change. And, and no matter, even if I didn't say anything about anything, I was, it was still an elephant in the room. It, they still knew that I had become like somebody they don't know anymore. And so we just continued to drift apart. So it's really a, a lot of, uh, it's a difficult journey. So the book is broken up into two sections. The first section is inside the mind of the truther. And it, and it goes into all the, all of the things that truthers deal with and why we do see and how is it that this is happening. And then the second section is inside the mind of the normie. Why do they attack? Why can't they see all these things? And it's really helping people. Yeah, man, that's, that's pretty deep stuff. And this is something that, I mean, I deal with a little bit. I don't get persecution from my family per se, but you know, I have a Christian population around me. Mm -hmm. And when whenever somebody's like, man, how do you believe in that? Or a supernatural experience, for example, I'll, I'll ask, do you believe in the Bible, right? And that, yeah, of course. And then I'll ask, do you believe in all of your Bible? And then they know it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, Jesus walked on water. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, it's one of like a, a thousand supernatural experiences. Like it's the most supernatural book in all of existence. If you stripped all the supernatural stuff out of it, it's just genealogies and people fighting over foreign land. That's right. And offer, you know, like I've had Dan Duvall on the show and he's super controversial. He's a friend of mine, man. We've talked about the elementals, right? Earth, wind, fire, water. I mean, we're, we're getting down into the nitty gritty of, of some of this stuff. I'm not afraid to talk about the Bhagavad Gita, you know what I mean? Or, or any of the Sumerian scrolls or that, that kind of stuff. It has a space, right? There's a time and a place for that. But it's, it's almost like there's a few people that are bold enough, maybe in the family to bring it up. And then they take all this punishment. They take all this backlash and all this punishment. And then really it, that can, that can harden and cause a root of bitterness to come up in people. So I think it's really a great idea to, you know, have this thoroughly laid out in these, these different parts with your book. And, you know, you kind of went ahead in a way and dealt with a lot of, it sounds like a lot of attack, a lot of sorrow that came, you know, just from the family issues, but it was somehow of picking up maybe like a driving force to get this thing completed because you knew you weren't alone. All right. No question. Just in some of the notes that I was looking at, the moon landing is fake. 9-11 yeah. is fake. The earth is flat. The Mandela effect is real. Chemtrails are real. You know, there is a shadow government. Eugenics programs are real. I'm on board, man. You don't need to try to convince me of any of that. I've been on multiple symposiums over the last few months with other researchers. We did some national broadcast stuff talking about you know, all the stuff in the air and the mm -hmm. water and the food. 
where does the Mandela effect fall into place? Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you were a pastor, I would deal with you a little differently than if you're just a a person or a Christian. Um, But what it is for folks that may not be fully aware of it, it's the experience that hundreds of thousands or even millions of people are now reporting that they have vivid memories of things that are no longer exactly like they remember them. And it is a phenomenon because it's so widespread. And the key here is to understand that these are vivid memories. So let me give an example. All right, if your name is John, and then and you wake up and your name is Jim, and in other words, your bank statements say Jim, uh, all of your people around you know you as Jim, so you get a checkup and you're not, you don't have mental illness, you don't have, you go to your pastor, you don't have a demon, okay, but you have certainty, and and so, um. You're like, I don't care what the data sphere says. I know what my name is, bro. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm so, not getting this wrong. <laughs> right? You know what your name is. So here's my question. Would you consider that experience a phenomenon? Yes or no? Just the way that you said it. No, I mean, that seems like isolated. But but in the, in the context of, you know, I don't know, maybe upwards of a million people around the world are waking up with a very similar problem is just not name specific. <laughs> it's it's right, actually right. a cultural relevant thing that they're like, no, I'm a millennial. I'm a 90s kid, man. And I remember this verbatim and all my friends remember it too, but it doesn't exist. Exactly. So well, weird. So weird. So let weird. me go back to the question because this is a key point in this discussion. All right. So because we all have a, a perception of this phenomenon. And so I want you to answer the question what the hypothetical scenario that I just outlined, where your name is now different, would you, if you had that experience, would you consider that a phenomenon or would it be just misremembering to you? A phenomenon, hands down. I feel like something's terribly wrong here. You know, like I'm going to die on this hill, man. I know who I am, right? (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Now the reason that's so important is because the unconvinced are universally categorizing this experience as misremembering. Okay, now they're experiencing the same phenomenon we are. So all of humanity is remembering Grand Central Station, but it's always been Grand Central Terminal. All of humanity remembers mirror, mirror on the wall, but it's never been that. It's always been magic mirror on the wall. And, you know, the Monopoly guy never had a monocle. And all of these memories are not super vivid like your name, but some of them are. We call them anchor memories. Anchor memories are like your name. You're like, I'm sorry. Uh, this is absolutely one. I would, I would stake my life on it, okay? It's like I played the Monopoly game a thousand times growing up, and the dude had a monocle. Now, you can go back to the original trademark. There's been four or five different versions of Monopoly. None of them had a monocle. Not one. Interesting. Well, it, it's, this reminds me of deja vu language in a sense. Now, the reason yes. I'm going to bring it up is because every, everybody knows deja vu. I mean, there's movies, books, right? It's, it's it's a common cultural term that floats around that people use. But if I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's, it's jamis vu, which is never seen. And it's a term that literally describes the sense of losing all familiar, uh, familiarity with where you're at, what your name is, what what is going on around you for, for like a moment. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like how deja vu will last anywhere 
for like a few seconds up to like maybe 10 minutes in some extreme cases. But with the Mandela effect, it's a permanent change within the matrix system. Okay. So everybody deals with deja vu. Some people deal with uh, jamis vu. There's whole generations of people dealing with the Mandela effect. And I'm kind of stuck in this place because I still, I still haven't really dealt with these topics to the point of, I know exactly what to do with that and how to actually mentor other people that are experiencing or, or have the questions about it. So it still has this realm of mystery for me. Like, ah, how do I tie that down and really figure it out? But in your opinion, is it a whole entire time change? I mean, are we talking like there's literally potentially elite races, right? That maybe we are living in a box, just like Truman was on the Truman Show, right? And they're making changes to the algorithms, right? They're making changes to the the information system that broadcasts the world around us. Does it get that creepy in your opinion? Sounds like what you're referring to is the simulation theory. Well, sure. Yeah. Like simulation theory, I I guess. I don't like using that word, but (laughs) Um, what do we do with this? So the short answer is, we don't know what we're experiencing, but we know what it isn't. It isn't misremembering. So, <laughs> so the unconvinced are trying to just brush this off. Oh, John, I could clear this up for you. You're just confusing the platter's peanut guy with the monopoly guy. And, you know, you can have an implanted thought like that. Um, the human memory isn't reliable. Those types of thoughts where they're just dismissing it. But remember, that's why I said that question before. If you woke up and your name was changed, those types of arguments would just fall to the ground. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to accept them because the level of, of vividness, it's so vivid that you have to categorize it as an unexplainable experience. And the unconvinced yeah, refuse to do that. Yeah. Okay. So in answer to your question, though, um, here's what we do know. Okay, so when you when the community uh, experiences a, a change, it's pretty much universally the same. Everybody's memories are are the same on on most cases. There's variance on either side, but 80, 90 percent. All right, now in that scenario, and I'll, I'll use um, um, I'll use a Bible verse, lion. The lion will lay down with the lamb is very familiar. If you ask a hundred pastors. Hey, pastor, who laid down with the lamb? They'll tell you the lion. Well, it now says wolf. It says the the wolf will dwell with the lamb. It's Isaiah 11.6. Now, what we have found is that that change to what we remember didn't happen 10 or 20 years ago. So 20 years ago, it was lion. And then 20 years ago, it changed to wolf. No, when you learn about a change, it's always been that way. So you can go back to, you know, 1500s when they were Matthew Henry's commentaries and he'll be talking about the wolf laying down with the lamb because that's the timeline that you're in now. In fact, it says wolf in the Dead Sea Scrolls all the way. They have part of the book of Isaiah in these Dead Sea Scrolls, which is probably maybe just a thousand A.D. And it says wolf. So it's a different timeline. Parallel, jumping parallel universe, right? I mean, so what's going on in parallel, your opinion? Parallel universes is another theory which has quite a bit of credence, but it's difficult 
from a Christian doctrinal point of view, because we have passages that say things like, it's destined for man to die once and then judgment. And so it's, it's difficult to reconcile an infinite number of John standing before the judgment seat. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. Right? So well, I, don't, I don't really know, like I said, what's happening. I just know what it isn't. So let me ask you a question. When you go to sleep and you, you have a vivid dream, right? You enter into this dream world. What realm is that for you? How, how do you kind of put parameters oh, or define that world? That's a great question. Okay, so if your child has a nightmare and they come into your bedroom crying, what does the parent say to the child to try to calm them down? It's okay. It wasn't real. It's Thank okay, you. Know you. Know I mean? yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> my, well, my parents didn't. They were like, what happened? <laughs> well, you hit it right on the head. They, they try to console the child by letting them know it wasn't real. Okay. However, if you go to the Bible, you have many accounts of angels visiting like Mary or no, Joseph. Joseph thought that Mary had fooled around on her. And, and an angel comes to Joseph and says, you know, don't divorce her. What she's conceived is of God. So an angel comes to you in a dream. Well, is that real? Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's riddled through all throughout the Bible. And yeah. it also depends, just depends on your, your view. I mean, I, I hold to a supernatural view. I see supernatural threads all throughout the Bible. But it's just... Okay, but it's you asked me about strange. the dream state. The dream yeah. state is more real than the awakened state. And it's a, it is a uh, Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? How about Jacob's that? Ladder How about is part that? of uh, a, a bridge between uh, this realm of, of the space-time continuum and the spirit realm, which is the Bingo. eternal realm. Because that's what validates that is the fact that you have a, the Bible, which speaks authoritatively of the spirit realm and the afterlife, telling us that angels come through this conduit of the dream state to the person's consciousness. So when you're in that state of alpha sleep or REM or whatever, then your spirit man is, is in the ascendancy and you're able to interact with the spirit realm much more uh, with effortlessly. Sort of when you yeah. fast, you know, the flesh is yeah. pulled down and the spirit yes. ends up in the ascendancy. So same thing when you're asleep. Interesting. Now, I remember when I was younger, I was always told I had an over-imagination, right? I had a stutter. I had some issues with speaking when I was a kid, but I could do artwork. I was producing artwork in kindergarten that was second, third, fourth grade level. I always have had this very vivid and creative imagination. And it's interesting because, you know, I grew up in the 90s, right? So I'm born in 88. I'm a 90s kid. And uh, it's just so fascinating that now as a grown man with kids of my own, I'm like, I wouldn't trade this imagination for the world. Like, I just wouldn't mm -hmm. do it, right? You know, I love when I can read the Bible and it makes me come alive. And then I question and wonder about these different things and doing artwork based on Revelation uh, 4, 7 through 9, right? These cherubim, the seraphim, the all, all of these angelic hosts, fascinating. And... The dream world, I think it's a lot, is very closely tied to the imagination, right? Mm -hmm. And we can have a lot of junk that can end up in our mind from just being 
I mean, I believe even just music at the grocery store is a level one attack of what I'm, I consider to be satanic ritual abuse. They're attacking the subconscious mind. They're, they're literally gar- throwing garbage in there through the secular music. I, I think that extreme. I don't expect everybody else to. I don't care if people agree with what I just said or not. Don't matter to me. Hey, if you don't like the show, move on, find another one. <laughs> you guys seem to love it. So I'm going to go there, right? I'm yeah. going to bring it up, right? That has to be talked about. But you know, so let me get another, before I just get lost on another rabbit trail, let me bring it back to you. Now, give me your overall thoughts on deja vu. What do you do with deja vu? Where does that fit in? And how how would you kind of coach somebody into this is what it is. In my opinion, this is how you deal with it. Is it good, bad? Help us out here. Well, my experience or not understanding of deja vu is it's an experience that you have where you feel like you've been here before. Is that what you believe? Well, yeah, I, that's how I ex- express it. Yeah, it's it's almost like I can tell you exactly what's going to happen in five, four, three, two, one. Right? Like I've been in this very moment before. I, I literally have seen all of this. I know how what that person's how they're going to finish their sentence, and it's this very strange, overwhelming feeling. I wouldn't say it's it's fearful by any means. There's almost a level of fascination and um, kind of like it's magnificent. It, it, that's how I've experienced it. Yeah. Um, well, in, in context of our conversation, it's different than the Mandela effect because it's a feeling that you have a familiarity, whereas the Mandela effect is a, vi- a memory of something that does exist that's different. So that's the first, that's the first thing I would point out. Very good. Yeah, very good. I do believe that what you were saying before ties to deja vu, that the dream world and the imagination and even Christian faith are very much tied together and that that they impact one another. So, for instance, you have the biblical teaching in Mark 11, 23, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed, cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes the things that he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Now that's a, and then it goes on to say, when you pray, believe that you've already received it and then you'll have it. So that's Jesus instructing us how to get your prayers answered. Now that technique or that principle has been in, uh, adopted by un, you know, non-Christians and, you know, like the secret and, and visualizing what you want, but it's, it was something that God gave us. So in Hebrews, it says God speaks those things that are not as though they are. Exactly. That's the voice of faith. Exactly. And so your imagination that God gave you is a big part of faith. You have to use outbound thoughts because most of us aren't thinking about what we're thinking about. So we're ruled by our mind and it's just running wild. Like, especially at night, if you're trying to go to sleep and you have insomnia, it's because you're having all of your thoughts are inbound. So what we have to do is learn to possess our vessels and begin to think about what we're thinking about and and decide what the thoughts are that are going to give you peace, health, prosperity, and, be, and this is not new age teaching. This is Mark 11, 23 and 24 teaching. And as Absolutely. a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And and that's Proverbs, right? 
Right. Yeah, and then take captive every thought into the obedience of Christ. We are to be made new by the renewing of our mind. It, it's, it's very fascinating. I'm tracking right with you. Yeah. And so, you know, in that realm of, of being uh, aware of these faculties of the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions, there is a faculty which is called intuition. And it's a knowing. Uh-huh. It's a it's a knowing beyond knowing. It's uh, there's a there's a scripture that says, "Let the peace of God, which passes knowledge, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus." And so that what term passes knowledge in the original is it's epinosis or beyond knowledge. Does that fall in line with discernment by chance? Absolutely. So there's another scripture that says, and those by reason of use are able to discern good from evil. So what that tells me is that you can get better at discerning and you can get better at, you know, um, cultivating a mind that's under control. It's not running wild because typically the, 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 the teaching that Jesus gave is so undervalued, which is don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough evil of its own. Well, that's the whole message of Buddhism is, is, is living in the now. Okay. Cause all of the emotional pain, the depression, the anger, the fear, you're either drawing it from your past, from regret, right? Woulda, coulda, shoulda, or you're pulling it from the future about all oh, what's going to happen. And, I don't have enough money and I'm alone or whatever your fears are. They're either behind you or in front of you. But in the moment, uh, the Buddhists have a term called chop wood, carry water. And, and what that means is don't overlay a narrative over everything. So if you're chopping wood, just chop the wood. Be in the moment. And don't be like, oh, this is so hot out and I've got so much wood to chop. How long is this going to take me? So you're miserable, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the whole (laughs) whole Buddhist uh, teaching is to empty your mind. It's to not think, which seems counterintuitive, but it's really magical because I was struggling with that after, you know, after my wife asked me to leave, which, by the way, I did not leave. I was asked to leave. And so I am lying in my bed and I'm, you know, tormented with all kinds of negative emotions. Can't go to sleep. And I'm like, this is not working. Okay, God, I need, I need to like rise above. My, I'm, not identi- I'm not defined by anything except whose I am. So I should be able to walk in peace and joy in the midst of this trial. And so I realized in my bed... Right next to me is a pillow, and there's no pain there. All the pain is inside of me. And so I started to bring my thoughts only to my breathing. And I would focus on my breath going in and my breath going out. Then I would just picture peace on a screen in front of me. And almost instantly, all of the pain left me. I almost started, I did. I started laughing a couple of times because I realized I was creating all this this pain. And so all of our, of, of our um, teachings in the scripture bring us to a place where we should be walking in victory 
and we should have the joy of the Lord and the peace of God. And if we don't have that, it's because we're probably dwelling on the past and the future. And Jesus taught it. It's not New Age teaching. It's don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough. Can you add one cubit to your height, he said, by worrying? No. One of the contentions is, is that new this is new age this is fringy rod why are you talking about this right. and it's like no a lot of things have been stolen thank you from the truth of god's word what is his intended purposes for us and the enemy has given us um a religious context to be able to be completely bored and terrified and and distraught in and that's why you know men who i mean honestly a lot of men don't have the correct level of testosterone because they're using plastic water bottles that have BPA in it and it's affecting your testosterone level. And that's one of about a hundred things that affects the male body, right? Uh, that keeps us, I guess you could say, makes us sequacious, just gets us to shut up, be good little boys. We're going to go with the flow, but that's not the way God intended us to be. God is dangerous, right? He He's good, but but he's terribly dangerous. He's the great warrior that goes out before us to battle. I mean, he has angels that slay 100,000 uh, of the enemy in the middle of the night. I forget. I think it was um, the enemies of Israel at the time, the Old Testament. But, but, but long story short, what I'm getting at is uh, we have a generation of people that it seems to be like there's this religious spirit or judgmental spirit that inhabits most of the quote unquote Christians today. Because if you are finding answers, if you're finding peace that surpasses the world's understanding, right? But you're fringe to them. How do you deal with this, right? Go, go to your pastor, or go to the priest or whatever, wherever you find yourself. And you actually ask them to break down and tell you how to take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Like, don't just read me that verse when I show up, I don't know, one, two days a week, and, and you request your 10% from me, but demonstrate that and, and convince me that, that it's not just something being thrown at the wall to see what sticks. Yes. A lot of people find themselves like, we're all the way over on this side. We're super fringe. We're talking. And it's like, no. God has good plans for us. He's a good father. The Bible says my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge, right? We're destroyed for our lack of knowledge. It also says to study to show ourselves well approved. That means uh, one of the biggest religions right now, and I don't bash people. I just am not religious. I, I'm more of a spiritual person. I believe in the birth, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Yahushua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. Other than that, I was a wild guy blowing in the wind. I didn't even grow up in the church. That got me in the door. A lot of the times you'll have um, these people that they, they just have nowhere to go with this information, but God wants us to be sharp, to sharpen each other. And during this whole process, John, mm -hmm. having love. Yes. Because it covers a multitude of sins. Yes. And we, we can have all this other information, but if we don't have love, banging symbols, man. Really, if you get into your Bible and, and people stop spending the time and the energy rejecting conversations like this and just sat back and listened and prayed about it and went and did their own research, they became a Berean because the, the, the Bereans, they were with a readiness of mind, accepted all of that, which could be found in the word. Yes. They weren't just led astray by any like verse or any theory that came their way. No, they went and tested it against the word of truth. And I think uh, a lot of the times when we dig deep, you will become fringe if you dig deep. If you have a hunger for God's word, 
this is impossible to, to just keep digging back in God's word and not find these nuggets. It reminds me of the verse that says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, mm-hmm. but the, the glory of the prince is to yeah. seek it out, man. So sorry, I just went on too much of a rant there. Oh, that was good work. Yeah, that's when I know it's flowing organically. I'm not, it's just flowing out. <laughs> so, you know, you talked about the ministry you're involved in, and and I want to talk a little bit about where people can find you, right? Where they can find the book. Let's talk a little bit about your ministry as we kind of start to wind down here a little bit. And uh, yeah, man. Yeah, so um, my web- website is wakeuporelse.com. And the book is available there or on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon, just put in the Conspiracy Theorist Survival Guide, it'll come up. And I'm sure you probably have a link in the in the notes below the podcast probably, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to add a bunch of links uh, in the show notes. But yeah. Right. And so what, what I'm doing now, last year I did a talk every Sunday um, – for the truther journey. And now at the end of the year, God pointed me out. So now the ministry is going out to the church because in our experience, 98, 99% of Christians and church leaders either don't know that their Bible is supernaturally changing or they have been told and they're ignoring it, or they actually do know it's changing and they don't want it to be changing. So they're basically <laughs> keeping it secret. <laughs> now, um, I just released a, a, a one-hour video that was basically addressing, should we warn everybody? And of course, God warns us to warn. He says, if you don't warn the wicked, I'll hold you accountable. So, and then there's one passage in Acts where Paul says, I, 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 I admonished you for three years, day and night with tears. So Paul And all the apostles and Jesus and all the patriarchs spent most of their time warning. So it's absolutely the mandate of the Bible to tell the entire body of Christ that their Bible now is filled with biblical paradoxes, uh, pornographic innuendo, um, confusion, uh, grammatical and spelling errors, and the, the... the fact that the church leaders can't see it is probably more astonishing than the phenomenon itself because it's so obvious. And I make I can give you some examples of, of these changes. So if you like, we can go there. Is that, you want yeah, to yeah, let's hear a couple. So uh, there's two different groups. One is King James only, and then there's the universal Universal changes appear in every Bible, pretty much. And so some of these are very vivid, some are not. But um, I just saw one yesterday. Many people will remember when Jesus healed a man by using his spit, and he made mud out of it. Well, now there's a passage where Jesus spits right in the guy's eyes. Well, that's very, very unfamiliar. Jesus spitting in people's faces, or Jesus saying, you know, for those who don't follow me, bring them here before me and slay them is in your Bible now. And in Leviticus 12, verse 8, it now teaches that the people of Israel can sacrifice turtles to God instead of pigeons if they don't have enough money. And you can offer female sheep. And instead of 
there was two men in a field. Now there's two men in a bed and two women grinding. And men are breastfeeding now in the Bible. And there's female angels in the Bible. And there's um, a variety of different uh, pornographic scenarios. One, one of them was with David and Jonathan. And I remember it used to say, the love that David had for Jonathan was greater than the love of woman. That's all it said. And I remember 20, 30 years ago, because I was in the ministry for like 10 years full-time and 20 years lay ministry. So I've been in the ministry for 30 years. And I mean on the platform, not attending church, on the platform. And I remember reading that 20 years ago and thinking, oh, you know, people might try to suggest that they were gay. Well, now it, it says that Jonathan strips naked in front of David, and they fall on one another, kissing each other in passion. And then, uh, and then it says, and then David exceeded. Well, what that word means is it, it means he grew as in his body. So you got two guys stripping naked, kissing each other, and then somebody's growing in their body. I'll let you draw your own conclusions. And then Revelation, it says Jesus has paps, which is mastos, and that's female breasts. So now Jesus is, is being pictured as a baphomet, basically, half man, half woman. And then there's a lot of unfamiliar scriptures. Like uh, if you ask a pastor, hey, pastor, who, who wrestled with Jacob all night? And he'll tell you, oh, an angel. Well, now it says he wrestled with a man. Or, Pastor, who went into the land of Egypt and killed the firstborn? And he'll say, well, it was the death angel. Well, now it's the Lord. The Lord went in and killed him. Or you'll say, Pastor, who cut Samson's hair? It was Delilah. No, it was now the Philistines. Or Moses and Aaron are in front of the Pharaoh. And uh, who threw down their staff? Well, Moses. No, now it's Aaron. So these are very familiar passages that I can go into a pastor's office and stump him 10 out of 10, which is so statistically impossible. Yeah, uh, absolutely crazy. So what I'm thinking right off the bat is CERN is up to no good. We are all currently in a parallel dimension and nothing is as it seems, right? Something's terribly wrong if what you're telling me is... Uh, what your conclusions have come up to. So I know Dr. Chuck Missler used to say, if you torture the text, you can almost get it to say whatever you want, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, when we look at the Hebrew and the Greek, it's really interesting uh, how precise that language is, but the English, and there's something wrong with the English language. Um, I believe that th there's certain words in the English that I believe are uh, cast spells or incantations, right? I think it's a hybrid root of different pronunciations that were used in the old veneration and worship of the lowercase g Elohim from the Old Testament that's referenced many times through. And I think the day and age that we're living in, it applies more now than ever to do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. You know, to flip through verses and, and to hear okay, David and, and Jonathan have some, you know, gay romance. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I know God is, is pure and he's of light and he's given us a certain order and a natural way to work within things. But the opposition is so overwhelming in this day and age that I believe people are 
are literally uh, down the rabbit trail too far to forget the fact that they're not to be deceived. So yeah, yeah that, that's my conclusion on that. Yes. Yeah, so of course, this is a very polarized topic and the Bible seems to teach that it couldn't be subject to such an external attack like this. So most Christians and pastors will become very irate when we suggest that the changes that are happening in the world include the Bible because they have this doctrine that it can't change. Well, we all believe that too until it started changing. And so what we had to do was go back into the Bible and say, well, God's not a liar. He's not contradicting himself. So what that means is the Bible must not be teaching that it can't change. And so what we found is that the passages that are being used to suggest that it can't change are actually very uh, um, unclear. So, for instance, one of the main ones is, uh, thy word is forever settled in heaven, is a passage that's used to um, suggest that the Bible wouldn't be able to be changed by the Mandela effect. But it doesn't, that doesn't really say that the Bible couldn't change. It might be settled in heaven, but not on earth. And so what we found was there's a distinction between the term scripture and the term word of God. And we've been taught from the front of the room all our Christian life that they're the same, but they aren't. Yeah, the word of God uh, is is Christ. The word became flesh. Yes. You have the word that never, it's there forever. Now, all scripture is given by inspiration yes. of God. Yes. So th these are these are things that should be relative. If people are taking the Bible serious and they're diving into these kind of uh, topics, they, they should be aware of these things. Hermeneutical hygiene. This is this is important. This is very important because we know that which is corrupted cannot bring forth that which is pure and true. So if I have a filter that is compromised, I cannot use that filter to purge whatever I'm filtrating through it to become better on the other end. <laughs> so there's a lot of people out there who do not know how to handle the word of God because they do not have the Holy Spirit. The Ruach HaKodesh does not reside within them. You know, there's many who parade as if they are an angel of light, but they are of darkness and wickedness, and you shall know them by their fruits. And, and this is what I'm going to say to my audience right now. You guys need to study to show yourselves well approved. If you think it's cool to have the LBGTQ in your church or paint your steps like a rainbow, mm -hmm. you are wrong. I'm going to tell you right now, God told us what the rainbow was was for. It was a sign. It was a covenant that he had made with the inhabitants of the earth that he would never flood the entire earth in its entirety again. That's a covenant. And, and the reason there's a bow to it is because there's a dome and it's reflecting, the light is reflecting off the dome, right? Mm -hmm. Just read your Bible, you guys. And you know, I don't say this whether you agree with what I said or not, John. I'm not saying it to step on toes. I'm saying it because that's what I believe. That's what lives inside of me. But there are crooked and perverse people out there that do want to torture the word and they want to use this the zeitgeist of information, the general consensus of information to try to fit the perverse narrative to make the Bible say something it doesn't actually say. Yes. 
And this is a challenge. I mean, the days that we're living in, you guys, it it is more than a challenge to go and to do some more research to you go pray about it. Go close the door, go into your bedroom and you pray in secret and let God let him bless you openly, right? Let him fill the table for you to eat at the presence of all of your enemies. You know, the difference between talent and anointing, John, mm-hmm. talents can draw people in. It can do a bunch of really great creative things. It can even change the world to an extent, but the anointing breaks the yoke. Yes. Hallelujah. That breaks the yoke and God gives what God gives and no man can take it away from you. Mm-hmm. So in the day that we're living in, I encourage you guys get prayed up lock arms with people and recreate this conversation. It's okay to go there, you guys, whether, and if you ever disagree with somebody, have respect because you never know who you may win over by the way that you just continually chip away and just love and, and go into that battle space for the, and contend for people. This time is short. You know, it is your personal rapture when you die and leave this earth. It doesn't have to all happen simultaneously at the same time for it to actually be the rapture, right? Some, somebody who's listening right now or me, myself, we could not be here in two months from now. That's the personal day that you're going to meet the Lord. So mm-hmm. I believe the fear of the Lord needs to come back into the church. I believe the correct order of the direction of the sons of God needs to come back into order. And I'm speaking life into this episode. I'm speaking boldness, bold as a lion into this episode from my listeners. You guys need to get some backbone and you guys need to start wrestling through these topics. But first and foremost, serve God with all your mind, your heart, your body, and your soul. That was glorious. I totally felt the, I felt the Holy Spirit, and I amen all of that. And um, I would just I would just say that I can assure you, after seven years, that this is happening. That God is not a liar; He hasn't compromised Himself by allowing this. And Revelation chapter thirteen says that that the Antichrist will be given permission and power to wage war against the saints and to prevail against them. And then Paul says in 2 Thessalonians that the Antichrist will engage in lying signs and wonders with all power. And that's a very powerful description. So, and then it was it was prophesied that this would happen in Daniel 7, verse 25, that the Antichrist would seek to change times and laws. I was just about to say that. <laughs> I was just that right? was, it was right there on the tip of my tongue. And yeah. that word laws what is wrong right and what is right wrong. That's right. And so the and the reason you know it's true is if you if you realize the word and the scripture aren't the same, this gives us permission to that this is happening and God is not his 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 infinite divine perfections are not compromised in any way. Because what was given to the original authors is immutable. So what was given back you know to the original patriarchs will come to pass and it will not change. That's what immutable means. But the the terrestrial book is under attack. It doesn't have a force field around it. It's becoming inaccessible is actually a fulfillment of a a curse or or prophecy, I'm sorry, in Amos 8, verse 12, where it says in the last days, there'll be a famine, but not of bread. It'll be a famine of the word. So we're in this time in history where Enoch chapter 80, verse 2, in that day, all things on the earth will alter and they will be out of their time. I mean, he could not have described it more perfectly. All things on the earth will alter and what? They'll be out of their time. 
but I, I can tell you, you know, there is a, there is a, uh, a lesson that I did. It's 90 minutes and it's called the seven Mandela effect questions that the unconvinced cannot answer, thereby proving the Bible is supernaturally changing. And what it does is it gets the unconvinced to agree. I'm not convincing you. You're going you're gonna to agree with me that it is happening with the questions. So if you go over to Wake Up or Else on YouTube and you listen to that, you will know that this is happening. There's no more debate. It is not up for debate any longer. This is happening. Your Bible is supernaturally changing. And we know that because I, I can stump 100 pastors in a row on basic Bible memory questions. But you can't, if the pilot gets 10 out of 10 wrong, you'd have to assume he has mental illness because he wouldn't have been able to fly for the last 30 years if he can't identify 10 instruments. Or the doctor isn't going to get 10 out of 10 simple anatomy questions wrong. But the pastor does. He's a content expert. So that's this is why, what's that? This is why English is a very dangerous language. You guys need to get brushed up on your Greek and your Hebrew when you're talking, uh, diving into the scriptures, in my opinion. And let me just make a point on that. What I've found is that when we challenge people, Christians, with the idea that their Bible's changing and they get the question wrong, like, judge not, blank ye be judged. Could you fill in the blank? Judge not. Well, Blank, you lest, be judged. Lest you be judged. Right. So that scripture that you just said has never existed in any translation ever. Judge not, lest you be judged, has never existed in the King James or any other Bible version, ever. How about this one? The Lord blanks, and the Lord blanks away. Job chapter 1. Job's defending I, God's honor. His wife's haranguing him. Curse God and die. And what does he say? The Lord blanks. And the Lord, oh, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And King, give it to me in King James. Oh, you want me to open King James? No, the Lord, you said it. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. It's, oh, well, it's as yeah. familiar as apple pie. Okay, that scripture has never existed in any Bible translation. What you just said. And a hundred pastors will say that. And, a, and a, every human being in the world will say that. What it actually says now in this timeline is the Lord gave and the Lord shall take away. No, no, a thousand times no. This is one of those. Yeah, I, don't, I don't see a huge difference with that. Honestly, the way I remember it is from Superbook, which is a cartoon one of my kids watch is a Christian cartoon. And the story of Job. Yeah, it's, it's 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 interesting. That's why the English is a little bit funky, you guys. It's a little bit funky because when you get into the Greek and into the Hebrew, the precision of the Greek and and how complex the Hebrew is as well. I talk about this all the time, even on and off air. The English, you're going to lose a lot of the punch of what the seriousness of the scripture says. Here, here's Rodney's metaphor for what I'm talking about for layman's terms. Right? You could literally say in English. Rodney and John went down the street and around the corner, right? But the original intention, if it was, I don't know, let's say in the, in the Greek or the Hebrew, is Rodney and John strived endlessly to arrive at the corner and through much hardship and deprivation did so. Mm -hmm. And you can see, okay, 
that that's a drastically it paints a drastically different picture <laughs> and that's just a weak uh simple uneducated representation of what i mean when i say looking into the hebrew and the greek personally i love jumping into uh the concordance i i have questions for people just like you know how many times the word beast is mentioned in revelation you know how many different time different types of beasts there are but if you streamline read it in the english it can be very confusing and I just throw that out there because this is the day and age where we need to get into the word with the correct order. Now, whether or not there is a changing construction of the word of God and whether it says, bless you, the Lord, or um, to bless with your lips, the Lord is good. I, that's non-salvational for me. I mean, I understand with all the different translations, uh, we're a multilingual house. So, you know, obviously, well, three languages get spoken out of this house. So I understand that a lot of stuff changes, especially when it we're thinking verbatim English candence. That's our localized slang. So things can get scary where it's like, oh, my gosh, this or that. But but I'll tell you, David was not sleeping with Jonathan. I'll tell you that. Right. And, and I, I wouldn't care what anybody says by the power of the Holy Spirit. I would say David was not in a gay relationship with Jonathan. I would I would go as far as to even say. Um, the misconception that people really don't understand that a spiritual bond of that type of love exists because the perversions are so great and uh, torturing the scripture with the English language. There's something about this English language, you guys, where really it, it has some demonic over and undertones with it. There are certain words and pronunciations that we use in the English that I believe cast spells and incantations on us because it has been constructed that way. It's just like the Hegelian dialectic. My listeners know all about the Hegelian dialectic. Thank you, Enoch Putris, by the way. He was one of the best researchers and uh, composers of video and audio production right now. Hence the reason I promote him on the channel regularly. But you know, th this is the, this is the time where we need to decide, are we going to serve the living God? Do we actually know what is right from wrong? I challenge people. If you're challenged by this episode, good. Hopefully it causes you to go deeper. Indeed. And I'm calling for debate. I'm calling for church leaders, influencers, and pastors to contact me at pleasewakeuporelse at gmail.com. Send me your name and your contact and phone number. And you can either come on my channel and we can have a discussion in the city gate. You can share why you believe that the Bible can't change. And we will share what our evidence is. And, you know, the idea that there's confusion with translations that explains it or that um, you can you can relegate it to a bad translation where, in other words, you go into the original uh, Greek or Hebrew and explain what it really means. Well, that doesn't address the phenomenon at all. It's basically sidestepping the evidence. The evidence is that we have vivid memories like our name that are no longer the same. And, and that's why I asked you that question in the very beginning. Because what you did is you agreed with me that what we're experiencing is not Bible translation confusions or uh, that it can be explained away in any naturalistic way like, well, the, the, you know, these passages that you mentioned, John, I can clear this up because if you go into the original, then you can understand what it really means. No, no, it is a phenomenon. It is a catastrophic memory failure. Like if you went to your aging parent and they didn't recognize you. Okay. If you visited your mom who's 75 and she's like, who are you? What conclusion would you draw? 
you would draw the conclusion that she has uh, early onset Alzheimer's. There would be there would be a you would categorize her as having a mental um, defect, not misremembering or just befuddled. Okay. Well, when you have 10, 20 simple Bible quiz questions that a content expert like a pastor gets all of them wrong, you cannot explain that by saying, oh, well, those are all bad translations, or um, he's confusing them with the different translations. It is yeah, a, the analogy you used in the beginning was a name, and it was John versus James, if I right. remember correctly. Right, so, so the point is that those the memory of my name is as vivid as many of these passages of Scripture. So it's the exact same experience. They're so vivid that they're as that's vivid as our name. Extreme. I mean, that's to say, like, names are different now than they are than they were in the past, right? If you look at the genealogy of Adam to Noah in the Old Testament, each name had a meaning. It, like today, my name's Rod, and most people are like, what does that even mean, right? Like, well, Rodney comes from the island of Rhodes, and it can have multiple different meanings. It also means muscular, which is very suiting for me because I'm a very muscular guy, naturally. But if you hardline and stream it down to like verbatim, just a name, it, it actually puts more hysteria on it, in my opinion. If it was like my name was Bob tomorrow when I woke up, that's, pre that's a pretty extreme case, and that's pretty narrow. There's no actually room for merging and understanding. That is an extreme, hot or cold, yes or no answer and response, right? But we know there's 200 different formats of speech in the Bible, and there's context in the Bible, and there's also revelation from the Holy Spirit when we're talking about the Word of God. So it's not as simple as a name change agreement to, oh, this scripture now has completely changed and means this. I mean, yeah, there, there, you might be onto something, but I'm telling you that it's not comparable to just a name change. So how, how would you explain, how would you explain the, and you have to take my word for it, that this happens is that I can go into a pastor's office and ask him 10 to 15 or even 20 simple Bible quiz questions where I ask him to fill in the blanks and he gets all of them wrong. How is that possible? So Jordan Peterson made this really popular recently, actually. And the Bible has, between Old and New Testament, 66,000 locking references, where it literally builds upon a deeper agreement. So I, I talk with pastors all the time. I have probably eight to 10 different pastors' numbers in my cell phone. Um, one of the things I deal with, John, is I talk about Genesis 6-4, okay? When the sons of God saw the daughters of Adam, and they took all whom they chose wives for themselves and gave birth to the Nephilim, right? And some pastors will say, oh, I take a Sethite view on that. The sons of Seth were righteous, right? And, and they, you know, whatever, right? They take a Sethite view. Personally, I don't subscribe to that. But does that mean that they're inaccurate with everything else? Now, that's one example that I can bring forward where the Bible would be saying something different to them than it is to me. But it's still a minor issue because it's non-salvational, in my opinion. Where I would get really picky is if we're talking about the birth, uh, death, and resurrection of Yahushua, the Messiah. Because anybody who brings a new gospel to you, let him be accursed. If you speak a new gospel, even an angel from above come and brings a new gospel. Now, the rest of the Bible, there's 200 different formats of speech there. 200 formats of speech. <laughs> I talk with people all the time that, ha that 
hold and prescribe to a different lens when looking at the word. Okay, but, but I'm still I'm not following. I don't mean to interrupt, but if I can stump a pastor from his memory, and these are King James only pastors, and we're out of a King James only Bible, so it's not a translation confusion. I'm asking him from the 1611 Cambridge version, so it's not a modernization. So how is it possible that his memory would fail him at the level of somebody having Alzheimer's? How would he fail 20 out of 20? How is that possible? I, yeah, I don't know. That's not really a question for me. Uh, uh, well, no, it is. It is a question. It is the question because it is a salvation issue. If your Bible is being corrupted with p- biblical paradoxes that that are unlike the God that we know, but you're not aware of it, and you're starting to assimilate this false talk- doctrine that's in your scriptures. Like Jesus is saying, if people don't follow me, bring them before me and slay them in front of me. That's a problem, okay? And so, no, because that one, uh, is that in reference to where he says, "I came not to bring peace, but I came to bring the sword." No, I don't have the scripture reference in front of me. I can I can pull it up. Um, yeah, my, really, my, really my, like my, that. my, uh, my observation is is if you don't know, which is what you said, then what that means is that you don't have an answer for the hundreds of thousands of Christians that are claiming that their Bible's changing. And all we ask is if you don't know how that could happen, then we ask people not to call us crazy and heretics and charlatans, because that's what's happening. Well, th- this is what I have right here in front of me, right? So I, I'm at Psalms 103, verse 1, and I have the King James Version, the New Living Translation, the New King James, the TEG, right? ASV, and I could read each one of them right now on air. And according to Joe Rogan, if you read scripture on your podcast uh, episode, now you're really podcasting. So I made a, a nice little inside joke recently to that. So I'm going to redo it again. Now we're podcasting, John. Uh, So let's go to Psalms 103.1. King James Version says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The New Living Translation says, let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. That sounds a bit different. They they sound a good bit different. That's two translational jumps there. Now, if you're telling me that there's 10, 20, maybe even 30 verses that are uh, strictly to the New King James Version, where people are verbatim getting wrong. I'd like to see some more information on that. I'd like yeah. to see an actual live broadcast, get a couple of people together and actually see that debate happen live. But yeah. the scholars that I know and talk with, they're, they're going to be a lot more flexible. They're not going to remember quite like the layman will next door, who may have been propagandized through you know some of these occult churches that may not even be real churches, in my opinion. I think some of them are a front. I think they're pretending. I think there's yeah. a lot more witchcraft that takes place there. Hence the reason I keep driving the message home about the English language and the frequency. Come on. My listeners know what's going on. They're actually going to be like, come on, Rod, we understand uh, you're, you're just running around circles now in this episode here with you. But there's so <laughs> many things to consider. Frequency, the poisonings, all, I mean, literally the supernatural word of God warning us that there will be uh, an unbelievable amount of deception in the last times. And don't forget about when God is covering up and sealing um, Daniel to not release certain uh, writings in the Old Testament, that they're, they're for a latter time and a latter generation. Yeah, Daniel 12. So, so we really need, there's so many things that can take into consideration. It's a debate now. I wouldn't say as much as an argument, but we are clearly debating now um, towards the end of this episode, John. And if you're saying that there's 10 or 20 verses that 
uh, you're, you can relate to the King James Version and you can stump pastors out there. I'd like to get a couple pastors together that either I know personally or know of and can easily get in communication with and see that kind of debate happen. Because anybody who's going to dive in and has a heart and an education, they're not going to streamline to just King James. And yes, we may remember certain things. It's just like in Tagalog, the way that we'll say certain things. Um, it, there's a proper way to say it. There's a slang way to say it, just like there is in the English. So when you're relating to other languages, sometimes it's people just have this information setting and it's easily accessible because the way that our brain works is there's a million messages and signals and things going on. So we're, we're just trying to jump and grab and streamline that memory and, and use it to the easiest fashion for how it would apply. Mm -hmm. And typically that's done through slang when, you know, your guard is down, right? When you're in relaxed mode, when you're not in business or professional mode. So I know a lot of the times uh, we don't do the best we can possibly do when it comes to remembering the word of God. But I will say hiding the word in your heart that you may not sin against him. What's the word? How do you hide that in your heart? And the last thing I would leave uh, the audience with before we cap this off here, John, is if we do not have love, we don't got nothing. We have nothing without love. So it is more than imperative if you have a drive or a desire that you want to be with Christ. When you leave this earth, you want to guarantee that you're with Christ. You need to get into your word. You need to speak with him in private. You need to realize and have a change of mind. You need to change your mind. Stop listening to what pastors are telling you. Stop listening to what the alien deception. You need to make up your mind. Choose you this day. Whom will you serve? The God of light and of creation or darkness? just like most of your fathers did. But make that decision, you guys, because I believe time is short. And I think just having John here tonight even just goes to show it gets deeper and weirder as we go. But this is what the podcast is for. This is what it's for. So that we can become aware of these topics, these conversations. We, we need to be coming together and sharpening each other on this. And uh, yeah, I definitely see a part two down the road in the works if you would like to come back again. And uh yeah. Any closing thoughts here as we uh, hard close within about uh, two minutes? Here. No, that was well said. I wouldn't I wouldn't add a thing and I would love to come back. It's it, you know, I'm not winning any popularity contests trying to suggest <laughs> it's happening. So it really it's a it's a very complicated topic. Um, but I think if, if I am given the opportunity, I can break it, break it, unpack it for your listeners. And like I said, the seven questions that the unconvinced can't answer pretty much ends the debate. Be wise as a serpent, but as harmless as a dove. And that is it. That's the episode, you guys. If you found this to be interesting, it was helpful. It challenged you to want to go deeper. If you have some questions where you're like, what in the heck do I do with this information? You guys know where to go. You go to the word first and reach out to me personally. I can get you guys set up with some better people than myself personally. And, you know, I recommend you guys literally go look at John's book. Go check it out. Go look at what he's doing. We need to be aware of what's going on in this day and age and hold each other accountable. With all that being said, God bless. God bless. Goodbye.